0: Zane Lowe, Apple Music. I've never met or spoken to Jacob Dylan before, and that's not because I'm not a fan. Of course I am. The Warflowers are an incredible band, and he's an amazing songwriter, but because I just don't feel he does a huge amount, and he doesn't really rush out to release records. In recent times anyway, it's been close to a decade, I think, since he put an album out, and it's not like he's not playing live or doing other things, but, well, you'll get a sense from it in this conversation. Jacob Dylan moves on his own time, in his own pace, and in his own way. This conversation was actually kind of challenging at times, not because he's difficult or hard to converse with, but because he's so sharp. And every time that you put yourself on the line and make an observation about his music or about the industry or about life or whatever, he has no problem equally expressing himself in an honest way, agree or otherwise. It's what you hope for in a conversation, but I think we all get lost in the niceties sometimes. Not him. He's not rude, but he's not overly flamboyant with his words either. Jacob Dylan, measured and masterful right here and the latest conversation in the interview series. Hi Jacob, I'm Zane. How you doing? Nice to meet you, man. How are you?
1: I'm good. How you doing?
0: I'm doing great, thank you, yeah. Thank you for this beautiful and brilliant album. I mean, I'm so happy to have The Wallflowers back and this collection of songs. And, you know, I've listened to it a lot and this one to me really kind of sums things up. And, you know, there's just a lot, I think, in this album, Jacob, of trying to inspire people to get through these challenging times. You know, is that sort of the prevailing mood for you? Man, when you were sort of making this to try to use those challenges in an inspiring way.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that's so what we. I think songwriters always do that. Mostly, i was trying to get myself through this this time. Yeah. You know, that's what writers do. You know, I mean, if you're writing songs right now, the last couple of years, you can't complain. There's not anything in the air to work with. There's a lot going on for material. You know,
0: that's true. I guess the question then is, how do you know when a song is waiting for you?
1: When it's waiting for me. Yeah.
0: Like, how do you know when it's time to write something when you realize, and is it something that feels more cerebral than spiritual? Or what's the combination? Is there a thing that is a commonality for you when it's like, wow, I've got something that needs to be said at this moment in
1: time? Well, that's interesting. There's a lot of songs out there. We really probably don't need a whole lot more. So, you know, you do have to feel a little more inspired, at least for me, this many years down the road, you know, I have a lot of songs I can play, but I do really like writing songs, of course. But being inspired and having something you think is it's hard to find anything that hasn't been said yet, but we're mostly writing about the same six, seven themes all the time, but you got to find a different way to express it. And that's what we try to do.
0: Ah, but that is like such a fine line, right? That's sketchy territory because that could be death for the creator if you start thinking, overthinking about what's been said before and where you fit into that puzzle.
1: Well, you do fit in. I mean, that's what separates everybody from the next person is your look at it, your take on it. There's not a lot to write about. I mean, we write about the same things a lot and that's... You keep exploring it, and then you're surprised every time you find a new way to say something. But that's what makes so much of so many of your artists valuable to you is just the way they see things appeals to you. You know, and the way they say it.
0: Yeah. You know, it would be really basic for me to suggest that there's anticipation and wait for this album that it was waiting for songs to come because you've been busy in creating other things. I loved the film and hopefully we'll talk a bit about that later on. But, you know, I do want to know as obvious a question as it is about the cadence of releasing and sharing music with us. And it doesn't feel like 10 years, but it has been. It's mathematically correct.
1: Yeah, I guess, well, eight or or nine or so, you know, as long as that was, it would have been a little shorter without the pandemic. But, you know, you do a lot of things, you know, and I did take a lot of time to make that movie Echo on the Canyon, which took me around the world to speak to all those people. And I toured continually that entire time as well. I always tour, if I can, every summer, you know, Mm -hmm. God willing. But um, I think when bands are younger, they feel the need to constantly be on a treadmill and they'll lose interest. People lose interest if they don't continually put material out. But... I mean, I'm far enough along where I can do it with or without records. So I, I make the records when I really want to make them. And but honestly, I just hadn't realized it had been almost ten years. Believe it or not. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, you know, these years, everything is so compressed and there's so much going on that you can keep yourself so busy doing different things that you know you have to remind yourself that what I do at the core is I write songs and I go out and I play. But you should also take the time to do lots of other things too. Now, you
0: know. Yeah. No, and you write about it. you get to a certain point in your life because. I'm 48 now. I got two, you know, my wife and I got two kids. They're basically, they're teenagers now. And it, it's like you do wake up and it's been three years because I guess you're focusing on the right things, right? You get to a point where you realize that that running and chasing that we do when we first find this thing that we love, it just gets replaced over time by life. Right?
1: That's it. I mean, your life, your barometer in life is how tall your kids get. You know, that, that, if you want to know how much time goes by, you look at them. You don't look at your friends so much. You know, you don't look at the, the music charts. You don't look at the movies. You look at your kids. That'll tell you how long things have been. But uh, there's a lot to do. And yeah, you make space for more things as you get older. And, and truthfully, you know, I always love the quote from John Lennon who said if you gave him, he's an artist, you gave him a tuba, he'd get something out of it. <laughs> you know, our creative people can do lots of things, you know, and they should. Just, you know, if you're creative and you, your passion is music or it's acting, it's very likely you're good at other things too. So why should you just be doing the one thing? I never got a memo that said we're supposed to just do the one thing. So... You know, it's going to be a long life, hopefully, and you want to get to a lot of things. But the music is the most important thing that I do for me creatively. And I know I've been asked a bunch about the long break, but I... Uh I wasn't like I sat around. I can't tell you how I used all the time, but...
0: Uh, I'm so angry that Laven even brought it up.
1: No, I'm so angry. <laughs> you know, I didn't mean for it to be that long.
0: I'm so angry that even brought it up because the thing is I've done this long enough to know that long breaks le- mean to these questions and stuff. And you say it's hard to find new interesting ways to say things in songs, hard to find interesting ways to talk about 10-year breaks in an innovative fashion. But, I, you know, it is interesting to me because, you know, you have established a very unique life for yourself where there's a lot of love for what you do. But I don't feel like you respond to that pressure or anticipation at all. That you just seem to be able to move in a way that is unique to you. And if you're there when I come back, then great.
1: Well, maybe. I don't know. You know, I'm not that methodical about it, to be honest. You know, I mean, obviously my background, I have a different perspective or experiences than some people might have. But, you know, I also came up at a time when, you know, music and bands just they function differently than they do now. It was obviously before, you know, social media and all that. So I kind of look at it the same way I always looked at it. Maybe I pretend that I can, you know, after records, I can go away and do other things. And then you come back, maybe I'm wrong, that you come back and people are there because the turnaround rate is much quicker than it ever was. Bands could go away all the time and come back and people would still be listening. But you get off that spot, you yeah. get out of that chair, somebody takes it pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> but if I came up today, I wouldn't know how to deal with that. But maybe I'm just secure enough and um, maybe what I'm looking for in general is not the same thing that would be required of me if I were to behave that way. So, yeah. you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I am faithful that music means a lot to people. And, you know, the people I always followed It didn't matter to me if those writers were 22 or 55 or 60 or 70. If I liked that person, I I was always going to be interested in what they were doing.
0: I'm sure people have asked you about this as well. But again, I'm interested to know, it feels to me when you come back that you are looking for new inspiration in the players that you collaborate with. You're looking for ways to be inspired. And how did you sort of settle on the band and, and the people that you decided to work with on this record?
1: Well, you know, who's in my band has always evolved. I mean, it was always put together like that. And I think that, you know, I get asked about that a bunch now with this record, uh, but it's never really, really been any different. I mean, there's no one lineup of this band that ever made two records. You know, it's always been like that. And uh, you know, it's my thing. I started it and it's not that difficult of a sound for me to put together. If I find the right people, it's not that complicated. My music's very organic. It's not wizardry. You know, I don't pretend to be reinventing anything. You know, I like the medium that I work in. I like traditional things. You know, I'd rather stay in my lane of doing things that are traditional than do mediocre things that are original you know, and try to reinvent things all the time. If you do it, you know, organically, you you do it naturally invent things anyhow. You can't help it. Yeah. But, you know, I put a cast of people around me, of people, of players, that it's not always about, you know, technique and who's, you know... Wildly efficient at their instrument. You're looking for chemistry. It's just like any. that's like a. You know, it's not unlike a, a like a yeah. basketball team. It's like everybody has a role, and if you do this correctly, you're going to make something hopefully really special. Yeah. But there's not, there's not always room for everybody to score. You know, so you have to, uh, <laughs> you know, you have to build the right people. You have to build the right team, and it's not that difficult, really. It certainly as you, as you go down the road a bit more, you've come across a lot more people, and uh, then you look forward to playing with lots of people. And you know, this was a small group of people that. With my lead, can play that sound that is what I make the Wallflowers. When I make the Wallflowers' music, it's just uh, it's something I can do fairly easily with the right people.
0: That's the thing that's so crazy about it is that you know even though that you have different players each time, and I know that it's you at the central core of it, your songs and your ability and the sound that as you say you want organically to flow out. You still, it's still man, it just sounds so like effortlessly like the Wallflowers. You, you know, you say it's, it's relatively simple to put together. Is it hard to pull apart? Is it hard to say goodbye to people that you love? You don't get rid of chemistry, but you might not want them on the next record, and they may be waiting for that call.
1: Well, yeah, that's uh, well, that's the nature of it, you know. Musicians, you know, they play with lots of people, and it's not always available. But you know, I have a lot of people I can pull from, and uh, you know, if my songs are at the center and my voice is in the center, it's going to sound like The Wallflowers. You know, if I lean into my strengths, it just kind of just does sound like The Wallflowers. It has since nineteen ninety two when we made the first record. You know, and by the time we got to the second record, that was mostly all the new people already.
0: I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how many songs you had for this album. And, you know, do you experience anything that resembles writer's block? Do you try and force your way through it? How do you relate to it? Or do you just not create if you're not inspired?
1: Well, if you sit around and wait to be inspired, you may never write anything. It can't, you know, short answer is yes. When you're inspired and they come to you, those are the better things. But sometimes I never called it writer's block. I just, you know, you wait and you receive. And if you don't have any good ideas, it's also good to just yeah. work through that. And that's what a lot of young songwriters, you know, when they wait for inspiration, they, you know, they want to be great right away. And you, you usually, you're not going to be, you're probably going to write 20, 30 really terrible songs and you're going to have to, that's just how you get to it. That's how you learn but no, I I wouldn't say that writer's block. I'm okay with it not coming. I'll wait. Yeah, you know. But there are times where you do have to write when you're not. When you're not. You don't know what the idea is for some reason. You have some kind of deadline. You got to finish something. I can do that too. And there's a lot of value in that too. But the better stuff just finds you. That's just Everybody will tell you that. We don't know why. That's just true. You
0: know, this documentary film that you spoke about, which is a beautiful, loving tribute to the idea of writing songs in the canyon, you know, Echo in the Canyon, which is, you know, really sort of, I think is your opportunity to travel back to a place that continues to inspire you and better understand it. At least that's what I took from it. I wonder sort of where it settled for you in your overall journey towards this album, whether it played a part and helped you sort of achieve this record, or you know, or whether it's completely separate.
1: Well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it, it reconfirmed a few things that, you know, you gotta start with a good song. You know, that sounds really kind of trite, but that's just we'd like to think that's not true. We'd like yeah. to think we can go in the studio and invent things and you can you get some different degree of value out of that. But all those songs you mentioned that we mentioned that movie that we sang and play, they're just substantially great songs. And if you have that, you know, oftentimes like eighty percent of your work is mostly done. You know, so you know, but I just relearned that. You know, I also relearned that bands are really difficult. They just are. I mean, those bands <laughs> we talk about—Buffalo Springfield and the Birds. I mean, they had so much talent. Mamas and the Papas. There's just so much talent that they're just—it's the nature of them. They, they can't exist very long. Yeah. The snapshot in that movie is great because the people just didn't really know much yet. They didn't. They weren't talking about mortgages. And they weren't talking about, you know bills and things they just needed rent that's all people really so they were able to really focus on the music but you know, then reality comes in and you get a little older and you find out the bands are really tough to keep together and god bless the ones who do for a long yeah. long time but those bands were not built to last too long there's too much talent too much to learn you know so it was, a, it was kind of bittersweet to some degree because i think a lot of us just always love the idea of being in bands but they're really for kids
0: yeah, david crosby was saying that you know how it's just not by design for bands to be able to exist for long periods of time, echoing exactly what you're saying. Yeah. There's a handful that do it. And this is maybe one of the, the most awful sort of realizations to share, but it's kind of true. It has to become a business. It has to become more than just the ego and the inspiration and the music. It has to be something that holds everyone together. It's more than just that, because those things are too emotional, right? You almost have to take the emotion out of it to get 30, 40 years out of it, don't you think?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I know I... Yeah, David Crosby's experience, yeah. He'd be the first to tell you he doesn't make or keep friends very easily. <laughs> being a long-term guy in a band, I don't know how that was ever going to happen. But, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You start out, like, no, everybody just needs rent and gas money, you know, and then life happens. And then that's just, you know. And the ones who do it really well, it ain't easy. You know, whether you're talking about long-term groups, like it would be at U2 or REM when they were still playing or Pearl Jam, it's not easy. You have to recognize that a lot does go on behind the scenes. By the way, it takes a... We don't, like, we don't like to associate the word too often with, with rock bands, but it takes a little bit of maturity too. Yeah. You know, to realize that, like I said earlier, like not everybody gets to score here, but when you start out, everybody wants to be at the center microphone. But yeah. <laughs> you, you might learn later, there's some really amazing value. Like one of my favorite people of all time, as a musician was Mike Campbell from Tom Payne, the Heartbreakers. His value is infinite to me. Always was into my friends. He was never underrated. That's that. That was something people would say once in a while. I always tell like, oh, it depends who you're talking to. I don't know who you're talking to. Not my crowd. Yeah, super highly rated. But I think he discovered early on that he had, you know, a real gem in Tom as the writer who was going to have the vision who was going to, you know, be out there doing the interviews and have to invent these records every time. And he had, you know, Mike Campbell had a brilliant role. And you know, maybe he, had, he Maybe I'm wrong, but there's the level of maturity early on to recognize that that person can do that, but I can do this. And, uh, you know, what are my strengths? And that's how bands can last. And if people don't really mm. sort those things out, they usually don't last.
0: It's a brilliant example because I remember one of my earliest memories with music is sitting in front of the record player picking up Dan the Torpedoes and turning and seeing Tom on the front looking like some kind of very skinny, you know, alien from outer space. Like I was like, who is this guy? But then I was as yeah. equally obsessed almost immediately. With Mike Campbell and Ben Montage and everybody else, it was clear to me this was a band straight away, even though it was Tom on the front.
1: Yeah, and you listen, and anything I tell you, that's just my thoughts. I don't know. You could talk to them, they could say something totally different. But as a listener, that's, you know, you observe. And certainly when you're younger, you're modeling your band and trying to figure out what kind of band are we going to be. Yeah. And there's all different kinds of bands, you know. I worked in that, always in that traditional setup. But, uh, you know, in some sense, the less we knew was better.
0: I love the idea of a fight in a creative. And it's a strange thing to say, but a lot of that early ambition that inspires you to want to put your music out in front of people and do all that work comes from this desire to prove something to someone or something. I mean, it has to be in there, right? Otherwise, we would all just sit at home write songs and leave them on the shelf. You know, for you to come out was unique because who you are as an individual, but you came out, presented yourself as a band. And ultimately, I wondered what was kind of motivating you in that regard. I call it a fight or some kind of motivation behind it. But what was really driving you when you first came out? What were you trying to prove, if anything? Maybe I'm off the mark.
1: Well, it's a lot. You know, you're not off the mark. It's, um, yeah, well, it's childish. It's egotistical to create something and put it out there and think the world might need it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, we need a lot of things. We probably don't need more
0: bands. <laughs> so wait, so far we've learned from Jacob that we don't need more songs and we don't need more bands.
1: <laughs> well, so, but all this is to say that like, if you're genuine and you have something, there's no obligation to do these things. I it's mean, true. It's a lot of work, you know, it's not easy. So that's what I say about the necessity. Is it necessary? I mean, not really, but it's needed in just the, way, the value it gives people's lives, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, we're also at a stage now where there's just so much of it. It's just so difficult to find your thing. I wanted to be in bands because... You know, I was 12 years old or something. I flipped over a record and I've read the front and the back. And what could be cooler than being in a band? I mean, it's your pirates. Yeah. You know, it starts with that. It's a gang mentality. And then music and all that starts to come together. And then really beyond that, there is no plan. I never had a plan. I mean, I never had anything to prove. I was never proving anything. I never understood when people asked if I thought I had something to prove. I proved what to who. I could never figure that out. Is it a person? Is it a collective? Is it a business? Who am I trying to prove what to? But it's also, I never chose to think about it too much because it seemed instinctual to me that that was a losing proposition. If that's why you're doing it, because you're trying to convince anybody of anything, well, I would never get over Yeah, I always figured there's something for everybody out there. There's room for everybody. This will be for somebody. And then beyond that, I didn't think about it much. I don't think people in bands have that much foresight. We just roll, we just go.
0: But that's an interesting observation because that's what leaves a lot of bands unprepared for attention and success and the things that suddenly comes from people enjoying what you do, right? It's like, hey, you are amazing, I really love you, but it's not just me. There's millions and millions who feel the same way and that's a whole lot of energy coming that way. So for someone who moved into it, who hadn't necessarily, if I'm understanding you correctly, manifested that or visualized that in the living room with a tennis racket, pretending to be in a band and playing in front of millions of people, you sort of making up as you were going along. How did success feel to you when you first got it?
1: Well, first of I all, mean, there's all different levels of success. You said millions of people. That's not the case for a lot of people, of course. Most people, that's not the case. Yeah. They have a good audience, to so hopefully they sustain some kind of relationship where, you know, they can make a living. I mean, that's not a crass word to say. People have to make a living. You know, the record business is not helping people right now do that, um, but that's a give and take. I mean, no one else can live like that without being compensated somehow. I mean, being compensated means you have time to make that music, you know. Then didn't have to have a job. But, uh, you know, the motivation is different for everybody. Uh, what was it like for me being successful the first time? Well, you know, anybody says anything other than it's awesome is either not being honest with you or has other mental issues. I may have a few myself, <laughs> but like being successful is not one of my issues. You know, what you do with it, how you internalize it, what it means to you, how big it might go to your head. That's all different. That all depends. That's how you grew up. That's how you were raised. That's about your need and your hunger. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you it's the music you want to do or are you doing it because you want to be validated by loads of people? You'll never fill that hole. That'll never happen. Yeah. You've heard those stories all the time. You know, they finally make it and they find out that all that money and success was not the answer. They're still depressed. Yeah. You know, you can move. You can go to a different town. You take your problems with you. So, I can't tell you what it was ever for me, not necessarily sales or validation. I can't put my finger on it. It's just a drive. It's something that no matter how often I change my mind, I still keep going back to it because I really like doing it. And I really like the sound of those songs coming out of the speakers for the first time. And I like getting on a bus and rolling around. And if I thought about it too much and I'm asked myself to be more practical, I might think of something else to do, but I don't want to.
0: You talk about listening to those songs for the first time when they're done. And do you allow yourself the space to listen to your music long after it's done?
1: Not so much. Because people who make the records, we hear too many things. I don't hear what you hear when I hear my records. I hear everything else that maybe even beyond just what's coming out of the speakers and takes you back to a place. You may not always want to revisit those places and... Uh, it's not unlike looking at old high school photos or something. You can look at them for a minute, but you don't want to spend too much time there. It's, a, it's kind of nostalgic. Uh, you listen to them a lot when you finish them because you got to rehearse them, you've got to go play them, and then you got to listen to them once in a while because you got to reference something you're going to play live. But no, I don't put my records on. I, I don't. I'm not sure I have a lot of friends who do that.
0: It always fascinates me. you actually given me one of the best answers I've ever gotten from a, you know, a question of that nature, which is that you know it takes you back to, to times you may not want to revisit. They are that snapshot of where you were at that moment in your life and whatever therapy they create for you. So I, I get that. And I understand that mentality, but I always think it's a little bit bittersweet because that's really where the trade exists. You get the experience of writing them and putting them together we get the experience of applying them and living with them and loving them forever. And it's like, there's a disconnection between those two things, which has always made me a little bit sad.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I don't mean to be dramatic about that. There's also songs you listen to bring up great memories. It goes both ways. And I'm not even saying songs bring up bad memories. I'm not that emotionally attached to my songs, to be honest. I mean, I write them, put everything I have into them. And then you move on, You then you want to write more, you want to write other songs. You don't linger with them too much. And oftentimes you forget why you wrote songs. You forget the motivation. You forget who's who in a song. I'm not totally attached all the time, but sometimes, you know, you just move on musically, sonically. You still want to listen to those records and, and you're glad they're there. And it's just, they're kind of like a photojournalism, you know, in that you're just documenting this thing musically. And they're interesting to look at sometimes, but the joy of them is sometimes replaced with new records. You know, it's, um, yeah. I'm not that dramatic about it. I don't mean to say that, like, it's hard to listen to them. I don't relive my songs, to be honest. I mean, I know some people do. Well, I guess we write differently. You know, I kind of get the songs out and then I move on. I don't, I don't have too much of a difficult time singing any song of mine from 30 years ago because I'm not attached to it anymore or I'm too attached to it. Yeah, I mean, it's a craft. If people want to hear my songs. I can usually figure out a way to sing them. I'm not going to go down some, <laughs> some uh, therapeutic rabbit hole, you know, reliving a song. It's a song, you know.
0: Exit Wounds, this album. What were some of the sort of prevailing sort of feelings that you were having while you were writing these songs? Is there a through line for you? On this album
1: well there always is you don't always know it sometimes it takes years to reflect on records you know but i have gotten better at just letting a song find me and then not being too worried about what it means or how it applies to times or whatever i just appreciate that it showed up and then maybe it'll take a year or two maybe more before i, I figure out like what that song why it came to me if you get out of your own way you know that's what it is you got to just let these things show up and they only came to you at this time so appreciate that and then uh, but to answer your question, is there a through line? There is. I can't almost put my finger on it. It's not an opera. It's not a thematic you know, concept record. But I wrote these songs in a short amount of time, just a couple of years maybe, bulk of them in less than a year. So whatever was on my mind or whatever words were swirling in my head, you know, we weren't in the pandemic, but we had a bunch of other garbage already going on. you know. So there was a lot to work with. And you could say it's a very anxious couple of years, a lot of anxiety, and that's all in my record. That's all in these songs for sure. Do you
0: feel it? As well? As observant?
1: Oh, if you could find somebody who doesn't right now, you know, I'd like to hang out with that person, some genuine clarity and uh, who overlooked all this disaster. <laughs> but, yeah. no, of course we do. It's impossible not to.
0: You know, this idea of touring right now is I get confused because on the one hand, I'm as anxious as anybody to go see shows. And I want to have that experience and that feeling. But at the same time, it's just such an individual decision. <laughs> you know, it's not just like, do I have money in my pocket? It's like, I got friends who won't even see me still, even though we're both vaccinated because they're just not ready. And I respect that. No judgment in this time. So the idea of going out on tour and playing shows, how do you feel about it beyond the idea of playing these songs and doing what you've always done?
1: Well, you know, it's a small complaint for a musician to say, you know, I wish I was out there playing. If, if financially, a lot of people need to be out there and cruise, that they need to make a living, of course. That's yeah, a for sure. That's huge consideration. But if you're just somebody who really misses playing, you know, you could probably sit this time out a little bit. I'm doing very few things. Uh, and there's moments where I wish I wasn't doing anything at all because I don't want to be in danger. I don't want to encourage people to get together and be dangerous because they came to see, you know, my show. But that being said, I do have some shows. We're doing the best we can. being extremely careful. We did a handful and so far so good and taking every precaution we can, but I wouldn't be booking any shows right now if I didn't have obligations. We had that glorious, like three weeks or so where we thought this was over. Everybody's throwing their mask out and everybody was, you know, throwing their gloves out. And then, you know, we all get excited, you know, and then, um, I don't like to cancel and I never, I mean, in my 30 years, there's like only a couple of shows that got canceled and they were physically because we just couldn't get somewhere. It was never because I just didn't want to. We put the tickets up. We said, we're going to go. Some people say, why don't you cancel? And in the scale we're doing, I think we're safe. But, you know, people miss playing. I haven't gone to a show, well, but I don't really want to go, to be honest. You know, I can wait. I've seen a lot of music in my day. I'll see some more. I'm not that anxious. I'm going to put myself at risk.
0: Having this album is brilliant and we've been trying to sort of talk for a little bit and it's given me the time to sort of live with the record and I think it's beautiful. But you also spoke about having other things that inspire you and you had a really successful release with this film last year. So I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but I'd love to know what else is sort of stirring you and making, you know, are there other creative pursuits and things you want to achieve in the next sort of near future? You're working on the dark, like what's going on?
1: What you mean, I'm getting my tequila coming out. Do I got my perfume coming out? What's happening with my brain? <laughs>
0: I love you, Jacob Dylan. You're so salty. It's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome.
1: No, you know, we've been talking about another documentary. You know, you could choose that documentary. We really did a documentary about one year in Laurel Canyon, you know, and and it's not even necessarily my favorite time of music. It was just presented itself as a good documentary. Uh, But We could do one. You could do one about any other time, any town that has music in it. You could find some strong material to do. So we've been talking about another year somewhere else. You know, and hopefully it won't take as long. Echo Canyon just took a lot longer than I was expecting. Why? Uh Because it's a documentary. You don't have a script, you know. Mm-hmm. You do interviews and then the story just unravels and then suddenly you're flying here to talk to him or go there to talk to her. And and these are all the people in that film. I mean, none of them are sitting around bored wanting to talk about those days. So it's kind of hard to get everybody pinned down to want to do it.
0: You know, I look at how what you achieved in this doc of pulling... Neil Young and Tom Petty and everybody in the same framework. I mean, Neil just doesn't do it.
1: Well, that's true. Uh, And I can't tell you why they all agreed to come sit with me. I'm not certain. I give you hunches, you know, ideas. One thing I think is that I was asking them to come speak to me, another artist. It wasn't, you know, sit down with a film crew and a journalist and, you know, pad a paper. So, you know, I'm coming from the same place they are. And I don't know why they did show up. You know, look, there's some truth to, you know, for a lot of people, things are like dominoes. You know, it's like if you call someone up and say, well, you know, Ringo Starr came down, Neil Young came down, Eric Clapton came down. Usually people say like, well, I want to miss out on that. But not these people. These people don't have to do anything. So I can't tell you exactly why they all did come. I can tell you there wasn't anybody we really wanted to speak to that had said that they weren't interested. And I was very fortunate with that. People are making documentaries all day long everywhere now. You know, if you're Neil Young, how often is that phone ringing with somebody wants to talk to you about something? And you have to say no 90% of the time. And even that 10% you say yes, you're still. Doing a lot. So, did
0: you enjoy it? Did you enjoy the chase and the experience of conversing with people and capturing this information?
1: Well, yeah. You know, one of my biggest concerns was just, you know, not to bother these people because they don't have to talk. It's generous to them to come and talk. And then I'm asking them to revisit something from over 55 years ago. That's a tough ask if you were to ask me. I was very conscious of uh, not wanting to uh, make anybody regret coming down. We tried to be as quick as we could and direct as we could. And, you know, me personally, you know, I'm the one sitting with them talking. I just wanted them to have an experience that they weren't, you know, bummed that they participated in, you know.
0: Well, man, I certainly enjoyed meeting and talking with you for the first time. And as a fan of your music for a long time, I'm glad we got a chance to do so. I hope there's another time. So thanks, Jacob. Congrats on the release of the record and good luck with the touring, man. I appreciate you keeping everybody safe and doing your best.
1: I appreciate it. And uh, you called me salty for my first time. I appreciate it. I'm no, in. it was, I mean. F-
0: Love it, man. It's so great. This is how this conversation went. Okay. Yeah. This is me paraphrasing the last 33 minutes of my life. Okay? okay. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, the idea of not listening to your music. Man, I will not be so dramatic about that. I mean, it's ridiculous. That. That's nice. That's too intense. I just right, talk about music. We don't really need music. I mean, no one, no one needs music. You know what I mean?
1: Well, you know, you're going to remember me now.
0: You won't forget me. It was one of my favorite conversations of all time, bro. It was awesome. Every all time right. I asked you something, you'd be like, "Why." Wow know about that That one guy that's Are you crazy
1: well you know listen you know maybe i'm a little self-conscious more than other people the people you know (laughs) musicians feeling very important it's just you know dude maybe it's not that important after all but i appreciate it man and i appreciate you talking thanks for the nice words on the record
0: the wonderful Jacob Dylan talking us through the latest Warflowers release and what went into it. And of course, like with every conversation that we do, trying to wrap it up in something that goes beyond the music and gives you some insight into life itself. Thank you very much for checking that one out. Leave a comment and make sure that you check me out on social media at Zanelow on Twitter and Instagram. Be well, be safe. Bye-bye.